along with you. And uh, man, you fill the place up. Really cool. My name's Tim, and uh, welcome to Peter Alton Church. Glad you could be here. If this is your first time here, we want you to know that we're glad you're here. Glad you chose to be with us this morning. And you can pr- pick up a, a, a free CD of today's lesson out in the uh, Welcome Center, that little round thing in the small dome. And just add, say, look, I'm a first-time guest. Can I get a free CD? And they'll be more than happy to hand that over to you. We're in a series right now uh, called Resolving Everyday Conflict. We've been, this is our third week uh, in covering this material. We're also covering it in our small groups. And it's not, this, it's not the exact same thing. In fact, you're going to find that today's material isn't, to, isn't in here at the church. It's not the same material we're using uh, in our small groups. It's covering more information. And we're, we're watching videos in our small groups that are scattered throughout all over the, you know, gosh, Alton, Bethalto, Godfrey, you know, one in Bunker Hill, Edwardsville. They're just about everywhere, Wood River. And uh, if, you, if you'd like to attend a small group, you can still get in on that. Uh, just if you'll notice in your bulletin, there's a list of those small groups and when they meet. And, and if you're, you're somebody that says, you know what, Tim, uh, I'd like to, uh, I don't know if I want to go to somebody's house. Are you having anything here at the church? Well, yes, we are on Wednesday nights. We're having uh, uh, Resolving Everyday Conflict as well at 7 o'clock here at the church building on Wednesday nights in case you'd like to be a part of a little bigger group, okay, uh, and, and meet here at the building. But we're covering all this material because uh, we're finding out, and I'm finding out, I'm just not very good at resolving everyday conflict. I had somebody say to me, and maybe you've thought this, man, it just seems since we started this series, I have more conflict in my life. Uh, it's not that. It's you're noticing it. You're noticing all this conflict that's been going on. It's just been going past you. You're finding it at work. You're finding it at home. You're finding it where you, you, know, where you go to school. Uh, you're even finding it here uh, in, in, in the church, uh, in your small group. It happens to everybody every day. Uh, and it, and it, it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to have conflict. Put two people together, and I guarantee you, sooner or later, there's going to be a conflict. In fact, uh, we've been looking at these skills on what, what can we do to resolve everyday conflict. And, and uh, today, what I want to look at is uh, when peace seems impossible. Look at this passage here on your notes if you want to follow along with the notes or up on the screen. I've got just as many passages on the screen as I do in the notes. I mean, we've got a lot of Bible to look at today. The Bible talks a lot about how to handle conflict with people who don't want it. And maybe you can think of somebody right now. You go, man, I don't know if they really want to work it out. Well, look what David says. Maybe you feel like this. I have lived too long with people who hate peace. I want peace and try to talk peace. But they want war. What's David saying? Well, he's saying not only is it a fact of life that you're going to have conflict, but it's also a fact of life that you're going to have some people just don't want to work it out. Now, I know some of you here, I've had some people talk to me and say, you know, Tim, uh, uh, what, what do you do if they don't want to work it out? It's a great question. In fact, some of you had that on your prayer re- uh, request, your comments. Hey, how do I work it out with somebody who doesn't want to have peace? What if they don't want to resolve things? And that's a great question. But can I ask you to consider something and just think about this? I, I ask myself the same question because I've asked that. Why am I asking that question? Why am I asking that question to begin with? I know sometimes why I ask that question. Because I'm looking for a loophole. In fact, I'll get to my Bible sometimes and go, Oh, I cross my fingers. Oh, Lord, help me find that verse that says I don't have to talk to that person anymore. Or God, oh, please help me. Help me find that verse that's justified me hanging up on them. Or not answering the phone. Or watching them get into trouble and not stopping them. Please, 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 could you just show me that verse? You know, you've ever been like that? Sure, you know, maybe, maybe you're asking the question, and again, I'm just talking to me. I'm sure none of you feel this way. You're, tr- you're trying to justify anger or bitterness. I mean, come on, Tim, give me that verse that says I can stop because I don't like them. I want them crushed. I mean, doesn't David pray for people to be crushed? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. The problem that I got with that sometimes is I wonder if anybody's praying that I get crushed. You, you know, I don't know if you want to do that. Why are you asking that question? If you've asked that question, there's a host of reasons. Can I suggest to you something this morning? 
that you ask that question because you really want to know what to do. Now, God, what do I do when someone doesn't want to work it out? When peace seems impossible. Now, let me show you this verse that's in Romans 12. This is the passage we've been looking at. Uh, we've been looking at through the whole series. And this is one of those passages. I want you to know this morning, prepare to get your butt challenge right off of you, okay? Yeah, I said butt. Prepare. Be prepared. This is a very challenging, challenging subject we're talking about here, church. And um, you're going to find out why the... Somebody said to me, what's the short answer on how to get along with people who don't want to get along? Be like Jesus. In fact, you could just write that on your notes and you'd be done. If you want to say, be like Jesus, you can set your notes down and now we can talk. Because that's really what it's about. And look what the Bible says here. Do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Now, if I was paraphrasing this, I love paraphrasing the Bible. Here's what I notice it's saying to me. Do everything you can to live at peace with everyone, including those that don't want it. Even if it seems impossible. Do everything you can to make peace. Now, he's really saying here, you know, you do everything on your side. That you and I have a responsibility. God gives you and I a responsibility on making peace on this earth. I know a lot of times when we think of conflict, and we learned this in the, in the Resolving Everyday Conflict videos, that we're always looking at the other person in the conflict and not at ourselves. And I hope to this morning... You'll, you'll just set those people you're having conflict with aside and just look at yourself. Because you're a part of the conflict. And God wants you to, to make peace with those that don't want it. Now, I got to thinking about this. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to do my part to live at peace with everyone, including, by the way, circle everyone, everyone, including those that don't want to have it? Let me give you three reasons that motivate me and I hope will motivate you. The first reason that I need to, I need to, um, to make peace with, the, with people who really don't want it is because a peaceful approach honors God. You honor God when you, when you try to make peace, even with people who don't want it. We're entering uh, the Christmas season. Uh, have you noticed people have already got their lights on? I don't know, every year in our neighborhood, somebody has to have their lights on first. Yeah, and I'm still putting up lights, okay? I haven't even tested them yet. But it just seems like it's getting, you know, forget Thanksgiving. We're getting right into Christmas. And, and look, this is the passage we're going to be hearing, you'll, you'll hear around the world. It's the passage where the angels appear before the shepherds at the birth of Christ. And look what it says. They sing, give glory to God in heaven. And on earth, let there be love. Joy, peace, peace, that's what it says. Let there be peace, notice, among the people who please God. He says, man, let God, he tells these shepherds, they know what it's like to be rejected. They know what it's like. And he says to them, give glory, give honor to God. Why? Because peace has come to the planet. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace has been born. And let there be peace on earth. Like we sing, and let it begin with me. Let it begin among the people who are devoted to pleasing God. Because that's what pleasing God is. It's honoring God. It's glorifying God. And you guys, listen, we glorify God when, when we seek to make peace with people, with everyone, especially those that don't want it. That we don't quit and give up and say, give me that loophole, Tim. Give me that passage that says, I don't have to look at their face anymore. It's not there. I'll show you in a minute. What about that shaking the dust off the feet? I like that. It's one of my favorite verses right now. What's that about? By the way, you'll find that that practice was done in private, not in public. And it was after you'd done everything you could to reach somebody. Have you done everything? I'm still learning there's a list. There's more to do when it comes to peace. And I've realized my list is a little shorter than God's. God's got a little longer list for me. And so we honor God when, we, when, we off, when, we, when we're peacemakers. The second thing 
Second reason we ought to be making peace with people when it seems impossible is because I imitate Jesus when, I, when I'm a peacemaker. A peaceful approach imitates the life of Christ. I'm never more like Christ than when I offer peace to people. Did Jesus get along with everyone? No, He didn't. Yet on the cross, He dies and says, Father, forgive them. Well, who's, he, who's them? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is he talking about John and his mom? Is he talking about the Roman soldiers? Or is he talking about everybody? Everybody. Jesus didn't get along with everyone, yet he offered peace and did what he his part. He did his part to make peace with everyone. And he calls you and I to do that. Look at this passage here. Look at this passage. This is this is the first Peter, and, and we're going to get back to him. We're going to understand why is he fighting such things. He says, this is what you were called to do because Christ suffered for you and gave you an example to follow. So you should do as he did. He had never sinned and he'd never lied. And I want to stop right there for a second. He'd never sinned and he never lied because you're called to live this life. And for many of us, for Christians across the world, all around the world, we, we do. We, and, it's, and it's not a bad thing, but we focus on this idea that to be a Christian, to follow Christ, to live the life that Christ lived means to live, to live morally and upright, not to lie, not to cheat. And is that, is that good? Absolutely. But Peter says there's more to it than just living morally. Okay? There's more to it than just never lying, being a person of integrity and, and trying to you know, try to avoid sin in your life. Look at the next part of this passage says. It says, people insulted Christ, but he did not insult them in return. Christ suffered but he did not threaten. You, you read the account of the cross and the thieves are threatening the people that are crucifying them. They're, they're, they're threatening the crowd. Oh, what are you going to threaten the crowd with if you're dying on the cross? I'm going to come back and haunt you. I don't know. I'm going to get you. Maybe it's a curse. They're, they're cursing from the, from the cross. What's Jesus doing? He's quiet. He's silent. Now, the Bible says like a Lamb before a shearer, he is silent. He did not open his mouth. What's that mean? Some guy's got this lamb and he's shearing the wool off and the lamb is just quiet and letting it happen. No fighting. No bah. Nothing like that. And Jesus, he doesn't threaten back. He says he let God, the one who judges rightly, take care of him. I think about I think about something here, and that uh, there's a passage in Matthew 25. It's not, not anywhere on the notes or PowerPoint, but if you read it sometime in, in, in the book of Matthew 26, 25, later part of Matthew, where they, they they're meeting Jesus and the disciples are meeting the Roman soldiers in the garden, and Peter takes out his sword and and an ear falls to the ground. Remember that? That's an exciting story. When you're in the kids ministry, and you tell that story, all the boys go cool. I mean, they really like that. Okay. So he was really aiming for the middle of the head. And he's not very good with the sword. But he takes an ear off. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Put your sword away. Huh? Put your sword away. What are you doing? We're having a conflict. We're having a conflict, Lord, and this is how you handle it. Well, I can handle it better. I got close. That's not the way you... And what's Jesus say? Put your sword away. And he says this, he says, I could call 12 legions of angels. Remember that song? He could have called 10,000 angels. He really could have called 72,000 angels. That wouldn't have sounded very good in the song. He could have called 72,000 angels. No, 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 no. Uh, 36,000 angels, that's the least he could have called. No. 10,000 sounds good. That's a lot of angels. I mean, how many angels do you need to rough people up? One. Death angel took out Egypt, man. One. Imagine 72,000. And he says to Peter, put your sword away. Stop cutting people up. Amen. When you're having a conflict with somebody, quit cutting them up. If they send something on Facebook at you, you don't send it back and try to one-up them. 
You don't cut people up that you're having conflict with. Put your sword away. Why? Because I know how to do that. If I wanted to, and you really look at this passage real close, and, and church, I want you to be Bible students. You need a good look at this passage. Look why Jesus says that. He says, I could call 12 legions and take care of this. And then he says, but how can the scriptures be fulfilled if you do that? He's saying, man, the, word, the will of God get, doesn't get done when you mishandle conflict. Even with people that are impossible to reconcile with. The will of God must be done. I wonder how many of us here, God would say this week, He would have said to us, put your sword away. Put your sword down, Tim. But, but they're picking on us. They're picking on me. They just criticized me. She said that. I gotta put it back. Why? I've got angels that can take care of that. And just, you know, think of I, I think I told the first service. I said you got a fisherman with a sword. That's kind of scary. He doesn't know how. He knows how to cut fish up, but he doesn't know how to use a sword. Okay. And then think about this. Jesus said, "Look, do you really want to put conflict in the hands, resolving conflict in the hands of a fisherman, an inexperienced fisherman, or an angel?" I think the angel knows what he's doing. And that's the way Jesus was. He said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to let God take care of it. So I'm not threatening. I'm not getting back. And guys, when we, when we can be like this, we're more like Christ. We imitate the life of Christ. We're called to imitate that. And that's, what, and that's exactly what Peter is saying here. He's saying that. He's saying, you know, the guy who used the sword... The guy who used the sword said, uh, put your sword away. Because even my Lord left it up to his father. There's another reason, and this one to me motivates me a lot, um, just as much as the other two. And that is that, that the reason I should make peace when it seems impossible is because a peaceful approach may work. It's possible it can work. Now, I've got several examples for you. Several examples to look at. One of them is the Second Timothy. In Second Timothy, Paul was telling Timothy to stay away from foolish talk and arguments because all they do is they create more quarrels. And then he says, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Don't you just love that verse already? The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. Wow. Those who oppose him. Now, who would oppose a preacher? Who would oppose Timothy? All kinds of people. People in the community. People in this church. Those who oppose. Sounds like conflict, doesn't it? What do you do with people who are opposing you? It may seem impossible to make it work. He must gently instruct. Oh, boy. And Why? Why do all that? Why bother? In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. He's saying, there's a possibility they'll change their ways. There's a possibility they'll come around. I, I get something out of this verse. What I get out of this verse is that what I teach, I'll say it this way, the way I teach is as important as what I teach. The, the way you teach people, the way you talk to people is as important as what you're talking about. Martin Luther King said this one time. He said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. You see, people, I've thought about this. They can explain away your logic, but they can't explain away your love. People can, you can lose people just because I used to think this, man, people listen to me. This is, guys, I want to know. I know in this room, some of you are listening to me because I'm right. Not this many. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's a few of you, you're going, that's right, that's right. But let's, can we be honest? We listen most of the time because of whether we like the person. Am I, am I blowing here? Is that true? Have you found it that... That when someone is likable and someone is, is, 
is kind and loving that it seems to, you seem to listen to them based on liking them rather than what the Bible actually says. You read the Minor Prophets. These guys were, well, John the Baptist. He was rough as a corn cob when it came to tact. And yet, you know, I mean, come on, let's just bust ourselves out. A lot of times that's what it's about, isn't it? People choose which church they're going to whether they like the preacher. A ministry, whether they like the person in it rather than the logic. You say, well, that's just unfair. That's life, folks. And the Bible recognizes that and says, you know, it's not just... You ever met anybody that's right, but they enjoy it? And they let you know? You don't, Do you listen to them? No. I don't. You probably don't either. I don't care if they're right. I don't care what they say. We'll say things like that. I don't care what they say. Why? Because the way they said it, I didn't appreciate. Now, I don't think we ought to, you know, we don't get a pass because somebody didn't say it pretty. I get a pass and I can, I can, have, I can cop an attitude. The Bible doesn't give me that. But the Bible does say I need to be sensitive. Amen. I need to be sensitive. And yet, the reason I need to be gentle and not resentful and not cop an attitude when people are opposing me, especially those that it's impossible, I want to pull my hair out. In fact, I want to pull their hair out. There's the hope that maybe they'll change. The Apostle Paul one time is talking to married people, talking to Christians and marriages in 1 Corinthians 7. And one time he's talking to them and he's saying, listen, I know some of you who are married, you're both Christians. Uh, and, he goes, and he gives some instruction about that. And then he gives some instruction about a couple where one of them is a Christian and one of them is not. And he, and he talks to them about that a little bit. And it seems to me what's happening here is somebody has become a Christian while married to a pagan. And the, the, the thing that, that uh, Christianity does is it makes it real clear that we're not to be yoked together with unbelievers. And I can just imagine somebody getting married and thinking, man, maybe I should get out of this marriage now. And Paul says, no, no, you shouldn't get out of that marriage. You should stay in that marriage. Now, if they want to leave because of your commitment to Christ, let them. But you stay in there. And then it says this in 1 Corinthians 7, right after that. God called you to live in peace. I never, you know, Bob, I never saw God called you to live in peace. I thought, what? It says that. To live in peace. Then he says, and look, he explains why. God called you to live in peace. Wife, you don't know. Maybe you'll save your husband. And husband, you don't know. Maybe you'll save your wife. Why should I, why should I try to work things out? I know I'm, I'm right now over some very touchy, thin eyes. Because who do we have trouble getting along with sometimes to the point of it's impossible to reason with? I heard, I heard her and him at the same time. <laughs> it's impossible to reason with them. I don't know what to do. It's, most time it's in our marriages. But maybe we have, we have friends, we have family. I just can't get anywhere with them. And he says, and, he tell, and I want to remind you, in family relationships, it says, the Bible says, you were called, you were called to live in peace. And you don't know, maybe because you'll, be, you'll pursue peace and you'll promote peace during a time when it seems impossible, it may change your, the life of someone, your spouse. Now, those are great examples, but i got another one for you I want to show you. And I got to thinking about this, because I, uh, I, I, I thought about this, okay, who gave Jesus, because Jesus is the one we're called to live, live like, who gave Jesus the hardest time on the planet? And I got to thinking about that. I mean, you think about examples. Well, the Romans killed him. That wasn't good. That's, that's, that, that didn't work out. You know? What did the Sanhedrin? What did the Sanhedrin? These are the guys that tried him and convicted him and condemned him. And they're always, they're always, he's always having run-ins with some of them by themselves and stuff and getting into it. And yet you notice Jesus continues to talk to them. He doesn't shun them. He can, continues to work with them, though they're hard-headed and they, they give him a hard time. As if, like everybody else. He continues to love them like everybody else. It's kind of like when he was washing the feet of the disciples. You just couldn't tell which one was betraying Jesus 
because when Jesus got done, all the feet were clean. There were no broken, you know, here's a pair of set of feet and the toes are all broken and snapped. You're going, who says that? Judas, he must be the guy. <laughs> no, Jesus did not snap a finger or a, a, a toe or nothing. He washes all their feet and they're all clean. They all look the same. Jesus treated everybody. He made peace with everybody. He offered peace to everyone. And he did it to the Sanhedrin, even though they would convict him and condemn him to the cross. Why, why Jesus? Because he believed there's a possibility it could work. You know, here this past week in the, in the, in the daily text that we've been looking at the Gospels, and we just now got in the book of Acts. And one of the things I ran across was these passages. And this is what made me think of it. And God has a great sense of timing. Look at these verses up here on the screen. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a member of what? The Sanhedrin. The 70 men, the Supreme Court of, Ju- of Judaism. It's in Jerusalem. And Nicodemus is, is one of those guys. Look what it says here. Joseph of Arimathea. He was described as a prominent member of the council, again, the Sanhedrin. And yet, you know what these two guys were were known for? These two guys are at the, at the death of Christ after he dies to get the body. They come and get the body of Jesus. I thought that was so cool. Look at these verses here. Look what it says here. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the, the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body down. When Pilate gave him permission, he, took, he came and took it. Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night, also came, bringing about 75 pounds of embalming ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And what I noticed about this, here are two guys, a member of the Sanhedrin, that were part of a group of men, that, by the way, you find out about Joseph of Arimathea, it says that he was opposed to what they decided to do to Jesus. He opposed it. He was a nay vote. And what do, you, what do we see here? Jesus treated these men. He pursued peace with guys that seemed impossible. And two of them became followers. You don't know. I don't know. By making peace when it seems impossible, by pursuing peace when it seems impossible, by going through the rigmarole and just, just the, the arduous efforts of trying to be a peaceful, kind Christian in, in hard, hostile moments, how far it, it can really go. You never know. And that's why I should pursue peace when it seems impossible. Now, what I want to do is, we're go, now we're going to talk about, so how do I do it? spend the rest of our time together on what can I do when others don't want peace? What can I do to make peace when everybody else doesn't want it? Well, let's look at this passage together before we do that because I think this really helps us. Again, this is Peter here and look what he says. If you suffer for obeying God, you must have complete faith in your faithful Creator and keep on doing right. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, you know, if you're going to... When you suffer doing what's right. You're going to run into people not going to like what you're doing. You're going to run into people that oppose what you're doing. You're going to run into people that aren't going to want to work things out. It's, it's time to put your complete faith in your Creator. This is challenging, church, to really trust your God and keep on doing the right thing. Keep on doing the good thing. You see, what I'm learning is, I don't know about you, but when, when I'm trying to make peace with somebody that doesn't want to make peace, it's not pleasant. Huh? Am I, am I right? And, and when you're not wanting to make, when somebody doesn't want to make peace with you, you find yourself, it's, it's not pleasing to you, so what do you tend to do? Find some pleasure some way. And the Bible calls us to seek the pleasure of God. Look at our first point here. Look what the Bible says here. What can I do? One of the things I can keep doing is, is I can keep focusing on what pleases God. I have to keep that focus. You see, we, we tend to make peace conditional. Well, I need to do this. Uh, here, instead of, in, in other words, we treat it like, a condi- like it's conditional, not a command. What do you mean, Tim? Well, follow me here. This is what helped me. 
You ever done this? Well, I'll do it if he'll do it. I'll, I'll make amends if he wants to make amends. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. You got it wrong. It is not about, it's, p- making peace with people is not about if he'll do it. Making peace is about it's his will. It's what he wants. Whether he or she wants to work it out. It's about doing what pleases God. Look at the Bible says here in Proverbs. It says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, that isn't always true. And I agree with you. But there is a promise here in the Bible that says that it can happen. Because I know people who are doing what pleases God and still having trouble making peace with their enemy. With people. But notice it's we continue to focus on pleasing God regardless. See, ultimately, pleasing God is doing what He wants. And what does He want? Let me give you three thoughts here. That they're appropriate at this time. There's probably an endless list, but I'm going to give you three that I believe are very appropriate when you're dealing with somebody who doesn't want to make peace with you. The first one is, God wants me to refuse to retaliate. I just got to refuse to retaliate. To react, to respond. There's a, there a passage in Proverbs that says something like uh, that about a quick retort and how it, it, it ruins. It says it ruins everything. A quick retort ruins it. What's he talking about? A quick comeback. You know anybody that's real clever? Maybe you're one of those people. You have a real clever comeback. That doesn't mean you're right. It just means you're a smart aleck. Well, I really put them in a place because I used a term that rhymed. I'm like, Al Sharpton. I rhymed it, so it sounds right. I know very clever people that are jerks. They're just sarcastic people. Smart alecks, we call them. And other things. Am I right? Sure. That doesn't mean anything. And and the thing is, that's what we want to do. When someone hurts us, what's our tendency? We're going to hurt them back. Look what the Bible says here. God, the Bible encourages us. Again, Romans 12. Remember it said, live at peace with everybody? Look what it says in Romans 12. Do your best to live in peace with everyone. My friends, do not try to punish others when they wrong you. What? They got me. I'm getting them back. Even Stephen. I'm going to get them back. And the Bible says, resist that. He says, leave room for God's wrath. I heard somebody say one time, yeah, I will. About that much. The Bible says, no, you leave him. Leave it to God. Don't try to punish others. Don't retaliate. That's what we want to do. And look at, look at how Jesus was. Again, First Peter, I want to remind you, it says he did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. I have to resist this desire to get even. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. I heard Bill Cosby say a long time ago, hurt people, hurt people. And it's true. I've done... Most of my damage in my relationships have been when I'm hurt and I won't deal with it. Some of you here have been, been a tough year. Some of you are going through grieving. Some of you people are going through some unemployment. You're going through a financial crisis and it hurts. It emotionally hurts. And what do you do? If you're like me, you find yourself taking it out on people that's closest to you. You're coming back with something. You're real sensitive. And Jesus says, oh, let me tell you the life I've called you to. You've got to resist this, this retaliation. He could have called 12 legions of angels, but the truth is he didn't. He died alone for you and me. He let it happen. And that's just ridiculous. That's righteousness. So that's one thing I know for sure I need to do is I, I've, got to re, I've got to refuse to retaliate. Another thing is, that I think that you know that pleases God is God wants me to choose to do good to them. That I continue to choose to do good. And I, I want to emphasize choose. It's a choice. Again, Romans 12. Look at this passage. It says, Do your best to live in peace with everyone. Remember it says, My friends, don't try to punish others when they wrong you. Then it says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Doing this will be like pouring burning coals on his head. And you're thinking, yeah, now I'm motivated. So it's like burning his head. Now, wait a minute. That's, <laughs> you really think that's, yeah, I want to burn some people. So I'm going to do good to them. Is that really what the Bible's trying to say? I remember one time I was a senior in high school, or a junior in high school. And we were in building trades, and, and uh, Mr. Spear, our, our high school teacher, we had this real tall tower where they, they announced the games from to watch the football game. All the bleachers were only this high, you know. Everybody else, we, we would band, the band, marching band, would build these formations. Nobody could see them but the three fellows up on the tower. They'd come down going, wow, that was really pretty. Nobody else would get it, you know. But, but we had to tear this thing down. And how we tear it down? So they put a cherry picker and they kind of strapped up the upper part of the tower and holding it because it's pretty tall. And a guy by the name of Lauren Pollard climbs up halfway up with a cutting torch and a fellow standing underneath him, Neil Tinkum, is standing there holding the hose. And he... <laughs> sparks are flying and a big glob of slag, hot molded slag falls on Neil Tinkham's head. And he does the crazy dance. I, I think it rained like five days after that. It was like a rain dance whenever... I mean, he's running around, he's running around the football field because it's right there. Ah! I heard us laughing and pointing. Look at Neil, man. He has a place in his head that's... It burns. <laughs> no hair grows there. That's what I want to do, Tim. Burn pouring hot coals, Right? Is that what it's about? Is that what that verse is about? He says, you're, what's he trying to say? I'll tell you what he's trying to say. You're going to get people's attention when you do good. This world is so screwed up, guys. It's so evil, so mean. And when you choose to do good in the most ugliest situations, you're going to get people's attention. Kind of like Neil Tinkham in that glob of metal on his head. It's going to... Holy man. Here's how you know that's what it's about. It's about... He says, do not let evil defeat you. He said, man, don't act like the third graders and say, well, if you'll do it, I'll do it, or you go first, or, or hold grudges and fight all the time. No, you defeat evil by doing good. See, evil will defeat you and I when we play on that level. When we try to get vengeance. We try to get back at people. And what does it do? It just makes things worse. You all know that. I'm not talking... People know that, right? In other words, in other words I've got to choose. I've got to choose to do good. Why? Because that's the only way to defeat evil. It is the kryptonite of evil when you choose that. So you're like Christ. Man, Jesus kicked evil's butt on the cross. And He says, man, you take a kick at it by doing good. When the world rejects you, or that person won't have anything to do with you. You keep, when they're hungry, feed them. I want to punch them. Feed them. When they're thirsty, give them a drink. I'm not sharing my Mountain Dew with them. Give them a drink. It'll be, you'll get their attention. You may change a life. That's how you defeat evil. Otherwise, it'll defeat you. It'll destroy you. I keep offering kindness. I keep serving. Why? It makes great impact. Here's the third thing I notice about, about this. That I focus on. That is, I, God wants me to decide to pray for Him. I pray for Him. Lord, get Him. Look what the Bible says here. Look what Jesus said. After He talks about the enemy doing this and this and this, but I say to you, He says, he says I for an eye tooth tooth. You've heard it said that. But I say... Love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. Isn't that interesting? I know David prayed, crush the teeth of my foe. And, 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 and I don't know how to completely reconcile what I'm saying to you here. But I know what Jesus said. And that's what we live by. What Christ said. And look what he says. He says, when you pray for them, it's out of love. So you're not praying for their demise. You're praying for they see the light. Absolutely. You want to pray that they get a deeper understanding? Sure. But I know this is what God wants us to keep doing. And a lot of times, guys, we quit praying for people. 
We quit. We we stop short. And you know what? God answers the unanswered prayers. The unasked prayers He answers with nothing. And Jesus says, "Man, when you're, why should I pray for my enemy? Maybe it does something to you and does something to me when we do." But He says, "Pray for those who hurt you." I keep praying for them. You might say, "But will it work?" care if it works. It's the will of God. Who cares if it works? Well, I'm not praying unless it works. It's the will of God. By the way, why wouldn't it work if it's the will of God? So pray. Pray for Him. I know, and by the way, I know some of us here is very tough because we're putting us in situations, aren't we, right now, of people we can't have peace with. I don't want to do that. I'm with you. I don't want to do it either. But it's the will of God. Again, I'm not here to... Isn't this challenging? Isn't this just, I mean, rivetingly challenging? Because God is calling us to this life that He modeled for, modeled to us for, through His Son. Jesus prayed for Him. He prayed for His enemies. He prayed for those that hurt him. The second thing I notice here, if I really want, if I want to make peace, or I want to to make peace with those when it seems impossible, I need to do is I need to keep trusting God with the outcome. I just need to trust God with the outcome. I look at passages, and I notice this over and over and over again. You know, this week in the daily daily text was Stephen. You notice how Stephen just surrendered it to God. He even said, Father, forgive him. Lord, forgive him. He trusted God with the outcome. Again, look at Romans 12. Again, there's this passage again. It says, if it's possible. In other words, it may not be possible. It seems impossible. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Is it, if it's possible, he says, if it's possible, but what if it's not? Even if it's not, he says, don't take matters into your own hands. Don't take matters into your own hands. Leave room for God's wrath. Leave it up to God. In other words, again, like I said before, put your sword down. Let God take care of it. Look at what it says again in 1 Peter. People insulted Christ, but He did not insult them in return. He suffered, but He did not threaten. What did He do? He had to do something. He let God, the one who judges rightly, take care of Him. Ooh. Well, let Him take care of it. Honestly... It's not only take care of it, but take care of him. He trusted God. He said, God, you're going to have to help me with this one. I'll let you, who is fair. You know, I've often wondered about this. I've had enemies. I've had people. You probably have too. We, my brother and I used to joke about this. We called it the Gill Curse. And the Gill Curse goes like this. Booga, booga, blook. That's what we used to say. I used to say in high school. Guys that beat me up, I go, booga, booga, blook. Well, they're slugging me. Tim, you're a weird kid. I weighed 98 pounds. Okay? And this guy is pounding on me, and I go, ooga booga blook. He goes, what was that? And I said, I just put the girl curse on you. He goes, well, before that curse happens, I'm going to put my curse on you. And I mean, he pounds me. I had three guys, three guys that picked on me in high school, and I gave him the girl curse. One shot himself. One had a wreck on a motorcycle and died. The other one became the town drunk. Ruined his life. Anybody need a curse? You say, Tim, what are you talking about? I'm just... What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say... It didn't always work. There were many times I'd put it on other people. 
And it didn't work. And I found out something. What I've concluded is this. By the way, I, didn't, I don't think I really have that power to give out a curse. So I'm not a gypsy, okay? If you're, you know, that kind of a thing. By the way, if you're a gypsy, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. You know what I'm saying? I'm not one of those kind of people that can do this. But, but understand something. What I learned was, was this. God may know something I don't. Why doesn't He get them back? Why doesn't He crush them? Because I don't want them crushed. And they don't get crushed. They seem to prosper. David talks about that. Maybe it's because God knows something that you and I don't. And that's why we should let God take care of it. Because He judges rightly. You and I don't. You ever tried to get back at somebody and you made it worse? I threw a rock at Danny one time. He's running, running away and I threw a rock at him. And I mean, it was going to land right in his head. And I'm going, yes. Oh, dirt clawed. Yes. And he trips. And the dirt clawed goes through the front door window. Man, I thought I had him. I don't know. We are not very good at taking vengeance. We think we are, but we're not. God's much better at it. And he knows things that we don't know. So... Whenever I'm wrong, I don't take matters into my own hands. I leave it up to God. Here's the third thing. And this one here, I know some of you are going to take this and like a bass on a lure and go, Good! This is my justification. But, I love, but at least let me explain it before you take off this morning, okay? And that is this. I may have to make peace by making some space. That's the third thing. I may have to make some space if I want to make peace. What do you mean, Tim? Is this the part about shaking the dust off the feet? Well, hold on. Sometimes you... I don't know. I've I've read about peace conferences where they had to walk away from the table for a while in order to make peace. And I thought, is there any place in the Bible that talks about this? And I've got four examples for I'm going to show you here in a minute. Why? Why should... Because guys, sometimes after I talk about it, after I've done everything I can about it, sometimes the best thing to do is take a step back. Why? Let me give you two reasons. What I learn in my scripture, the, the Bible's telling me, that space gives time for things to cool down. That's the first thing. And space gives time for God to work. That's the second thing. First thing is space gives time for things to cool down. Am I right about that? Yep. And space gives time for God to work. To work on what? On them and on you. If there's anything I've been learning about this REC material is this. In a conflict, we really do have our focus on the other, don't we? I remember a preacher one time says, every time you point your finger, just remember you've got three fingers pointing back at you. What about you? And boy, that's something that's an eye-opener for us right now at Greater Alton. Is that we realize that God is... It, sometimes we need... And I, I want you to know, what I'm talking about is not running. When you've got that slippery slope chart, we're not talking about running here. Uh, flight, is that what it's called? Flight? We're not talking about be, having flight, doing a hit and run. I love that when you talked about that, a hit and run. You, know, you zing somebody and then you get out of the, get out of the room. That's a hit and run. You know? and, and, he, and I want you to know what I'm sharing with you is not about that. It's not about, oh, I can run from this. I don't have to deal with it anymore. No. It's a tactic. And it's a righteous idea. A righteous action that you have to do sometimes. You may have to stop and go, you know what? Maybe we'll just cool it for a little bit so we can calm down and give this... And, and realize it may take some time for God to work it out. Let me give you four examples that I, I've been very powerful examples. The first two are Jacob and Esau. And you probably, you guys remember Jacob and Esau? That's the first example. You find them in the book of Genesis. Jacob and Esau are twins. They've been born seconds apart. And if you know anything about the story of Jacob and Esau, Esau's hairy and Jacob, that he's an earthly, he's an earthly kind of guy. He likes to go hunting. And Jacob kind of likes to stay at home with mom. Totally different, two different people. 
Now, I went deer hunting for the first time since I was, I say, I'm sorry, I went deer hunting for the second time, and it has been 20-some years. Last time I did it was when I was 18. So it's been 20-some years since I went hunting. My brother can go out and hunt with a pocket knife and get a deer. He's amazing, okay? Well, he got a six-point buck this weekend, and all I got was cold, okay? So we're up in the stand. Here, you take this stand. It's the easier stand. I'll go take the other one. Sure. And it's got tree limbs sticking out. I'm sitting in an easy chair. This is fantastic, you know? And then I'm listening, and an hour goes by, and he goes, it's right now an hour. He walkie-talks me. We got walkie-talkies. Hey. We're at the hour. This is this is the hour, the finest hour. Pay attention. Keep your head up. Blam! 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 I just got a six-point buck. I key back. I just grabbed my pants. <laughs> I thought, somebody's shooting at me. Scared me to death. He didn't even say, I got a deer coming. Usually you give a guy a heads up. I think, no, I just hear scooting. Okay? He's the outdoorsman. We go into a woods. True story. We went out in the woods one time. We're out in pitch black. Where, where are we? Well, that's north. And that's south. That's east. That's west. I go, how do you know? The stars. I look back. He's gone. Where'd he go? Because I don't know where I am. Jacob and Esau. But Jacob and Esau got a little bigger problem than Danny and I had. Okay, they not only are they different. There's a rivalry going on, and you find out that Jacob and Esau. Esau is so hungry one day. He doesn't. You know, uh, he's like, man, I need something to eat. Well, Jacob's been in the kitchen, man. He knows how to cook. And he, he said, well, here, have some soup. But it's going to cost you your birthright. He goes, man, I don't care what it costs. i got to have something to eat. So he eats it. And then later, you know the story where Isaac, his, the dad, is blind. He can't see anymore. And, and uh, uh, Rebecca dresses up his kid, Jacob, putting fur on his arms and stuff. And then he'll fool the old man, making him think it's Esau. And he, and he gives him his blessing. And then just as soon as Jacob leaves, here comes Esau in. He's got the, here it is. Here's, you know, here's some food. And here's, you know, bless me, Father. He goes, who are you? He goes, I'm Esau. Who was in here? You mean somebody? I just gave him the blessing. I gave him your blessing. Give me something. That's what it, that's what it says when you read this passage. Give me something. He goes, I haven't got much left to give you. You're going to serve your son. Or serve your, your brother. Sorry. And look what the Bible says here. Look what it says here up on the screen. It says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. In other words, he knows he's about to die. He goes, then I'll kill my brother Jacob. We'll have ourselves a little hunting accident. What's Rebecca do? Look what Rebecca says to him. Rebecca says this. He says, look, you need to get out of here. You need to go to your, to your uncle Laban. Stay with him for a while. And look what it says. Until your brother's fury subsides. I thought, what a, what a polite way to say for a while. You know how long that was? 20 years. 20 years. 20 years these guys are apart. And what happens during the 20 years? Well, God's working on Esau because he's just got a bad attitude. Well, I mean, I bet God's working on him. We don't know. The Bible says nothing about Esau. You know what it focuses on? Jacob. And what do you find out about Jacob? Well, he goes working for his uncle, and he finds out what it's like to get ripped off. I'm going to get married to this beautiful woman. Took up the veil. Yeah! <laughs> what happened? Well, this is the other, this is the other daughter I got. If you want the other, you got to work another seven years, buddy. That's 14 years. Look at her. I'll do it. You know, he finds out what it's like. God's working on him during that space time. Is he working on Esau? We don't know. Is there a lesson here? Well, is God working on him? Is God working on her? Because if he is, then I'll do the work too. He doesn't. No. 
You know, you may think, I don't have to do anything. I can finally get away from these people. You think God's done with you? God's going to hunt you down. He's going to work on you. He's going to work on you during this space time. You read the Bible, you find out that finally Jacob's had enough living with his uncle. He's out of there. So he takes his, his wife, his wives and his kids and they get going. And, they, and all of a sudden some horse, horses come up and they say, Esau, he's coming your way. He's got 400 men with him. What? He's got 400 men. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's separate this group into two. Wives, you go this way. I'll go this way. Now, servants, come here. I want you to take some stuff. Send some goats ahead. Send some camels ahead. Send some sheep ahead. Because when we do all that, that'll pacify Esau. He's still trying to connive. If you read your Bible carefully, before he meets Esau, he wrestles an angel of God. God is working on Jacob. They've parted company. God is working on Jacob, and he'll work on you. You should expect it. You should want it. Don't worry about the Esau in your life. If God is not working on you during this time, you should panic. And I'm going to tell you what, God, guys. God is working on Greater Alton Church. He's working. You know, I, I used to used to think, well, you know, I, I hope God's working on, and I'd put the name in, whoever I wanted, and cl- completely forget God's going, uh, Tim, <laughs> you really ought to be concerned about what I'm doing with you. And what's the Bible say? Look at this verse. I love this. They meet. They finally meet. And the Bible says this. It says that, that when they got together, it says Esau ran up to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. They, there was reconciliation. Twenty years, folks. Twenty years it took. But God worked out reconciliation. Praise God. When it seemed impossible. I got another example. I think this is David and Saul. Am I right? We look at that. Yeah. David and Saul, it's found in 1 Samuel. This is example number two. I bring this example up because David and Saul never worked it out. It never got worked out. Saul was bitter toward David. Why? He killed a giant named Goliath, and then a big song started up. You know, it was a big hit. I think of Michael Jackson. (laughs) What's this song about? He goes... And he sits there and he starts singing. You know, they're all singing this song and doing the dance and everything. You know, what is, well, Saul killed his thousand, but David killed his 10,000. And everybody's like, wow. It was a popular song. You probably didn't catch it on the radio, but it was big back then. So big, Saul got jealous and very upset. Throws his spirit, David. What are his knees together? What's David do? Maybe it's time to make some space. So he leaves. And you read the story. Back and forth they go. Saul's sorry. David comes back. David blows his cool. David leaves again. In fact, there's one situation where Saul is asleep and David sneaks down to the camp and grabs his spear and I think a canteen or something and he holds it up on the mountainside and says, Saul, look what I've got. And he looks around. Where's my spear at? He's got my spear. I could have killed you. But I chose not to. Can't you see? I want to make peace. Trying to make peace while there's distance. Saul goes, I'm sorry, my son. I'm sorry. Come back to the palace. Everything will be cool. But it isn't cool. And David ends up again running. And it says Saul was in a cave relieving himself. And you can figure that one out. And while he's relieving himself, David happens to be in the cave with some of his mighty men. They're going, here's your chance to kill him. And they're egging him on, like a lot of our friends do. Come on, get him back. How dare them treat you like that? And he's like, you know, sneaks up. And while the man is relieving himself, cuts off part of his garment. And then Saul gets on his horse, and he's on his way out the cave, and David runs out and goes, look, Saul. That's how close I could have killed you while you were doing number two. 
I'm just being honest. You know, guys, come on. I could have got you. And he's like, looks down. Oh, my gosh. He could have killed me. And, and if you read this passage real close, it's David says, my men wanted me to kill you. But I was, he says, conscious stricken. What's God doing? God's working on David, too. And I just couldn't lift a hand against the Lord's anointed. You follow me, guys? God works. Even when you're apart. Paul and Barnabas, there's another one. Paul and Barnabas, wow. They get into it in the New Testament. They get into it over John Mark. John Mark is a coward. Apparently, he failed in some way. He was, I, I say he's a coward. He failed in some way. Barnabas, who's the son of encouragement, says, let's take John Mark with us and go back and strengthen the churches. And, and Paul goes, I don't want to take John Mark. I don't like John Mark. John Mark failed me. He's, he's, he's wimpy. I don't, we got to have brave men. I don't want to be around him. Barnabas is going, wait a minute, man. We got, you know, we got, John Mark's a good guy. Let's use him. Oh, no, I don't want to use him. Man, what's wrong with you? Paul, you're being short. Uh, what do you mean I'm being short? You're the one that's being unreasonable. I'm not being unreasonable. I'm telling you, John Mark's a good guy. I don't believe it. He's a coward. I saw him run. I've had it. Well, you, you, well what do you mean we can't work together? Well, I don't want to work with you anymore. Peace out. Like a Girl Scout. That's it. Paul takes, he goes, he takes Silas, new guy. I'll just start all over. I'll get a new guy. Barnabas takes John Mark. I'll show you. And off they go. What happened? They couldn't work it out. It even happens in the New Testament. It even happens in the kingdom of God. And so what ends up happening? Well, I know this. It took years. Paul would write Timothy and say, bring John Mark, for he has been useful to me. What happened? I guess Paul and Barnabas finally made amends. It took years. It took years. By the way, God used both their ministries. And it wasn't about whose side are you on. Was that song? Tell me, whose side are you living on? I'm living on Barnabas' side. No. Or Paul's side. It's the Lord's side. And God used the two of them, both those ministries. And so what, did, what happened? Well, we don't know much about Barnabas. Yeah, he must have been wrong because we don't know anything about him. Well, we know a little bit. He must have done something right because John Mark did turn out pretty good. But Paul goes through. And didn't, didn't, didn't the Bible, doesn't the Bible say that at Paul's conversion that he would learn how much he must suffer for my name? It's the Apostle Paul. God worked on him too. And he'll work on you and I when things seem impossible. What's the last example? <laughs> you ready? God and me, or Jesus and me. That's the last example. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding at all. The last example is Jesus and me. God made space. What do you think he's doing right now? What do you think he's doing right now? Jesus did everything he could to make peace with mankind, even with those that didn't want it. Resurrects and ascends into heaven. Space? He makes them space. For what purpose? You know, the prodigal son, we know the story of the prodigal son. The father is, is a story that illustrates this. The father is, is, has got a great thing going on. The son says, I want my, I guess he watched too much J.B. Wentworth. I want my money and I want it now. And he gets it and he takes off. He takes off. It says he leaves. Separation. Space. They can't reconcile. They can't make it work. Off he goes. And what happens? It gets bad. What's the father do? The father just... I picture the, I picture the father waiting to see, longing to see, looking to see if his son ever comes back. And one day his son goes, I'm going home because it's better there than it is here. And as his, as his head just comes over the horizon, it says the father takes off running and embraces him. He had to have that space, I guess, to figure it out. But the father doesn't say, don't you come back. He accepts him back. Look at the Bible says here as we close this, this lesson. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return as some people think. No, 
He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish. So He is giving more time for everyone to repent. He's given me space. He's given you space. You know, guys, come on. You know, we're, sometimes we treat God like a dog. We, we run. We leave Him. And does he, does he say, good, okay, fine. No more peace with us. I'm not going to have any peace with you. I don't care about... No, he longs for peace. But sometimes, maybe has, there has to be some space so we can... Things can cool down and he can work. I will say this to you, some of you here. If you've, if you've left God, you know God will take you back. He'll take you back. And he, the only reason he lets you have this space is so you so he doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to give you time to change and repent. What a good Lord we have! What a gracious Lord we have, who's done everything he can to make peace with you. But let me ask you: Are you tired of being away? Isn't it time to come back to God? Isn't it time? To find the peace that passes all understanding once more. Because He'll take you back. He'll take you back. Let me ask you this morning what do you need to be doing right now? What do you need to be doing to make peace in a situation that seems impossible? Is there something that would please God? If you just just decide right now, I'm going to I'm going to do that. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to serve and I'm going to continue to do good. I'm going to pray for these people that that I don't know what else to do with. Is that what you need to do? Is what you need to do? You know what? I want to get back. I want to lash back when I see a Facebook comment. I want to come back with a bigger one. That isn't going to work. Maybe you need to take a step back. And by the way, when you do, anticipate God working on you. God wants to work on you. And who knows? Maybe it won't take 20 years. But God can bring peace and reconciliation. You have a card in your your bulletin and I'll give you an opportunity if you want to write something down maybe a comment or maybe a prayer request you know I suggest you take advantage of our prayer team our people that our ministry that prays over these cards may God bless you to, to find a way to trust your creator to rely on your creator during times when peace seems impossible and I want to say to you members here at Greater Alton you hang in there you keep praying for peace. You keep, you keep pursuing peace. You trust your Creator. You wait on the Lord and let Him work. He'll come through. He'll come through. We're going to give you a chance to fill out that, this card while we sing a song, and then we'll sing another song, wrap up our service, and take up that, those cards as well as our contribution. Let's pray.